text already, but we're kicking off a brand new message series called Thriving from 1 Thessalonians. Now, Paul, he discovered this church on his second missionary journey sometime between 49 and 50 AD or so. And as he was traveling along, he came across a group of people in Thessalonica. Thessalonica, located in Macedonia, was a port city, which was a strategic city for them. And it was so strategic that it became the capital of Macedonia. And as Paul was on this journey, Luke, who tells us the history of the church in the book of Acts, tells us how this church started. We read in Acts 17, 2 through 4. As was Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue service, and for three Sabbaths in a row, he used the scriptures to reason with the people. He explained the prophecies and proved that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. He said, this Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah. Some of the Jews who listened were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with many God-fearing Greek men and quite a few prominent women. Paul ends up leaving Thessalonica, but plants this church, and he uses this letter and then 2 Thessalonians as well to write to the church to encourage them. And over the next few weeks, we want to look at lessons from 1 Thessalonians that are going to help us thrive. Thriving is living with purpose. And a lot of times, we can just exist in this world. We get so locked into the grind, it just feels like another day, another day, another day. And you're not supposed to just exist. You're meant to thrive. You're meant to live with purpose. And so that's why we want to look at topics like, what would it look like if we could just please God with our life and not people? Or how do we stand firm in the midst of adversity? Oftentimes, pain and suffering pushes us away from God. How can it draw us near to him? And then discovering God's will for our lives. If there is a God, I want to do what he says, not exactly what I want to do, because it's the best plan for me. How do we discover that? And then we'll look at Paul's words about the end times. He talks a lot about what's to come in a long time. So as we study this book, I want to look at the first 10 verses with you. But before we do that, I want to tell you what happened in this room a few weeks ago. On a Friday night in December, there were 65 third through fifth grade boys playing dodgeball in this room. And the images that you have in your mind of what took place happened in probably even more. (laughs) There was a lot of competition, a lot of people throwing balls very, very fast. Even though I wasn't playing, I somehow got hit by them. Teams that would win the championship, others that lost a lot of tears. A lot of snacks that were eaten. Like, you came into the student center where we were before in here, and there was this beautiful array of snacks. And then at the end of the night, we were sweeping all the crumbs that were just everywhere. But the greatest part of the night wasn't watching kids throw dodgeballs at each other. It was what took place in our student center during that time. 65 third through fifth graders gathered in what we call the pit to listen to one of their heroes, Isaac Bunce. If you know Isaac, Isaac's actually in this room right now. I won't point him out, so he's embarrassed, but he's somewhere over here. And Isaac is the star starting running back for the Perkins Pirates. And Isaac had an incredible year. If you followed Perkins football at all, between rushing and receiving, he had over 1,800 yards, 29 touchdowns, led us to almost going to the state semifinals. It was such a great, great year for Perkins. And Isaac was a big part of that. But what I love about Isaac, and I wanted him to share with our kids, is that he's not just a football player. He's the real deal. Isaac's the same 
on the field as he is off the field. And that's hard to find in a junior in Perkins. And so Isaac, he came up and he shared about his life and I got to ask him some questions about himself. And then almost an offhanded comment that he said was actually the greatest thing that he had ever said to our kids. He's talking about the locker room and a lot of the language in the locker room and what is said obviously isn't always great. And he just simply said, hey, I just want you guys to know, even though people talk like that, I don't talk that way. I don't cuss. And I'll tell you what, I saw kids' eyes get really big because you gotta imagine, these are third through fifth graders. This is a big deal to them right now. They're trying to resist peer pressure. They may not wanna say it, but their other friends are saying it, so they're saying it now too. And one of their heroes is sitting up there and yeah, he has the accolades, he has the skills, he has the stats, but he's also living for Jesus. And so now as a parent, when Paul and I want to tell our kids that they shouldn't say those things, it doesn't just have to be a parent thing now. We can say, why don't you look up to Isaac? He is a role model to you. He's an example to you. The way that he is living, we want you to live that way, not just now, but when you get into high school. And when the Apostle Paul is writing to the Thessalonians, he literally says, if we need to share, show other people what it looks like to follow Jesus, I want you to know that I point to you. You are the role model. You are the example. I want people to follow Jesus like you follow Jesus. We read this in the middle of the passage in verses 7 through 8. He says, as a result of the way that you follow Jesus, you have become an example. You are the role model to all believers in Greece, throughout Macedonia and Achaia. And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Achaia. For wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. What an incredible thing to be said about somebody. Isaac, he lives his life in a way that I can say to him, hey, because of how you live, other people want to live differently, and they point to you. Paul is saying, you have been such an example, church, that people are living differently and they're pointing to you. You're the example. You're the role model. In fact, your impact is so incredible that he said it's ringing out from you to people everywhere. That phrase, ringing out, is from the Greek word exekio. Maybe you can hear our English word echo in there. This word is only used one time in the entire New Testament. And Paul uses it here to describe the impact that the Thessalonians are having on people. This word can be translated as sound or boom. And it can be likened to a loud trumpet or a thunderclap. I don't think I have to tell you how loud a trumpet is or a clap of thunder. And Paul says that's how loud your impact is. You are living in such a way that when you're following Jesus, it is so loud. People are coming to know Jesus because of your faith. And it's not like the Thessalonians have it easy. I mean, right before this, Paul says in verse 6, so you received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of the severe suffering it brought you. In this way, you imitated both us and the Lord. It's not like they had an easy life. No, when they became Christ followers, they were persecuted. They suffered for it. People put them through the ringer because they followed Jesus. And yet they still, they still drew close to God. They still grew in their faith. They still lived a life where people, their lives were changed because they were doing it the way that Jesus wants them to. 
And so as we look at our passage today, I want to look at how are they doing this. But I don't want to leave here today and think, man, Thessalonians, they were good people. Because yes, they were, but I want us to think about ourselves. What does it look like to live in such a way, especially when it comes to faith in Jesus, that if people were to say, here's what an example of a Christ fire looks like, it would be you. Or if someone in our community wanted to know what it meant to live for Jesus, they could point to a church and say, well, it's the chapel, 100%. There's a loud thunderclap coming from the way they live. How do we do that? If you want to go back to verse 1, we're going to just start there and, and move forward through this passage. Paul, he begins by saying, this letter is from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. We are writing to the church in Thessalonica, to you, who belong to God and the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, may God give you grace and peace. We always thank God for all of you, and we pray for you constantly. Paul, he's talking about the impact that these Thessalonians are having on different people. And before he does that, he says, look, I want to tell you that I, I know you're doing well, we bless you, but I have to get right into what you're doing to help other people. And right away, he tells us exactly why these people are an example to others. He says, as we pray to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and the enduring hope you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith, love, and hope. When those three things are linked, we can see all throughout the New Testament, it shows that a church is both mature inwardly, and something's happening to impact other people outwardly. Paul uses these three words in different letters. Other New Testament authors use it in letters to describe a church that is healthy and doing incredible things inwardly and then helping people discover Jesus outside the church. It's these three things. And it's not just something we want to do as a church. Individually, this should be the vision of our life. When we wake up every single day and we wonder what we should do today, it should be these three things. We should focus on faith, hope, and love. John Stott, he says it this way. Together, these three orient our lives. As we find ourselves being drawn upwards towards God, outwards towards others, and onward towards hope in the future. I mean, we live in a society, if you had to describe it in one word, it would not be outward, it would not be upward, uh, or onward, it would be inward. We all live as if we're the most important thing in this world. It's all about our dreams, all about our desires, all about our wants. It's just this selfishness that you would not see in this church. You'd see a people that live upward towards God, outward towards others, and onward towards hope. And if you want a life that matters, this is our vision Paul, he says that the upward part of the Thessalonians' faith can be described as faithful work. They had faith, and there's two components of faith. You have to hear both of these. The first component of biblical faith that shows that you truly believe in Jesus is what the object of your faith is. For the Thessalonians, it wasn't always Jesus. We read in verse 9, it says, for they, these people that are talking about you, are talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us and how you turned away from idols to serve the living and true God. Another word for idol is God, but think of lowercase g. 
There are these gods that people would give themselves to and hope that they would give life to them in return. The problem was these gods, they were lifeless. They would pray to them, give to them, give their lives to them, and in return they got nothing because they weren't alive. And as a result, they themselves weren't alive. And Paul, he came around, he says, listen, you can settle for the little lowercase g, or you can know the capital G, which is God himself, that we see manifested in the person of Jesus. Jesus, he died, but now he's alive. And if you give yourself to him, you will have life. And so these Thessalonians left this old life behind and their faith in these small gods and started to follow Jesus, put their faith in him and said, okay, God, I am yours. They had the right theological beliefs. They understood the scriptures. They prayed together. It was amazing. The problem, though, that I see in modern-day Christianity is that it falls short of what real biblical faith is. What I mean by that is we say just believe in Jesus. It's an inward relationship. But let me tell you, there is nothing in the Bible that talks just about an inward relationship. You see, we put everything on social media right now, and I mean everything. Some people write things on social media, I just want to send them a message. I'm like, are you sure you want to say that right now? We put everything out there, and yet, when it comes to our faith, we say it's private. We don't offend anybody, it's inward. That's not biblical faith. It can't be. Because when you read about faith in Jesus, yes, it's believing in what Jesus did for us, but it must, it must, it must start to transform you, change you, slowly but surely, and then those changes that are inward will come out. That you won't just believe in Jesus, you will live as if he's real and you will impact people as if when they interact with you, they see God himself. It's James, the half-brother of Jesus, who put it so clearly. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? He's literally saying, if you want to know what saving faith in Jesus looks like, you must believe in him, but it must be coupled with actions. Your actions don't get you into heaven, but it reveals that you are going to heaven. And he said, if you believe in Jesus with your heart, it must be showed with your life, with your love. And that's why right after Paul talks about faith in Jesus, he says there's this outward faith that's happening, this loving deeds that are happening within the Thessalonians. Yeah, they're loving one another, but they're loving people outside the church. And now their impact is felt all across the world. Now, when you look to Jesus, he's... So kind to make it so simple, because I'm a simple man. He's like, I'm going to put it so easy to you. All these laws, all these rules that you read, I'm going to put it into two. If you want to follow me, just do two things. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's objective faith. It's putting our faith in Jesus. It's that inward belief that we know that he is who he says he is. And then he doesn't say, after you do that, the next thing you do is to love people. It's not one and two. One A, one B. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love other people. It's equal. 
you know you love God because you love people. It's that simple. And if you don't love people, if it's not coming out of you, you should ask yourself if you truly know Jesus. Because biblical faith is both. When Paul and I were living in Grand Rapids years ago, I remember hearing this incredible story about a guy named Thomas. Thomas, he moved from India, where he's from, to the United States to go to school. While he was in the States, he went back to visit his parents in India so he could just see them and and be back with them. As he's in India, he finds himself at a train station, and he comes upon these two little kids. And he asks them, why are you here? And he says, they say, well, our parents had AIDS. They died. We have AIDS, and our family knows that. And so they basically gave up on us, and now we're orphans. So we come to the train station every single day, and we beg for food. This really, really hurt Thomas's heart, just like it would all of our hearts. Thomas, he ends up opening his Bible there at the train station. I don't know if he just randomly opens it or he just decides to open it to James chapter 2, which is what we just read, faith and deeds together. And he starts to question God. God, how could you do this? God, why would you do this? As he's asking those questions, he's reading the book of James. He comes up with a plan to make sure this doesn't happen to any other kids. He tells the Lord, Lord, I'm going to go back to the United States. I'm going to go and get my college degree. I'm going to work for five or ten years, make a lot of money, save it all. I'm going to come back to India I'm going to start an orphanage to help people who have been pushed aside in society. Well, as Thomas is thinking about this plan, as he's there at the train station, he also hears another girl say to her mother, but mommy, I'm hungry now. And when that little girl said that, Thomas has this flashback of when he was a child and they didn't have a lot of money and they had to go into garbage cans to try to find something to eat, just like he was seeing and some other people there. They're hungry now, he kept hearing. And so he left the United States, stayed in India, started an orphanage where 50 kids ended up coming and seeking refuge, started after-school programs with his wife. It's an incredible thing. And he ended up naming this orphanage Faith in Deeds. Now, I don't tell you that story to make you feel guilty. I don't tell you that story to say, okay, now, tomorrow when you go to work, make sure to pass in your resignation letter and tell them you're moving to India and you're going to start an orphanage. (laughs) Now, if some of you want to do that, I think that would be great. A lot of times God calls us to big things and we just really like the comfort of our lives, so we'll ignore that. So if God is calling you to something great, please do it. And us as the chapel, we will support you financially if you do. But a lot of us aren't going to do that. So I look around, I see faces that are going back to work tomorrow, back to their normal lives tomorrow, back to school tomorrow. But why can't we still have the impact that Thomas had? Just maybe it looks different here. If we ought to truly follow Jesus, if maturity in Jesus is faith, hope, and love, and faith and love have to go together, that ought to be present in our lives where we are too. For when we go back to work tomorrow or school tomorrow or wherever we go, people should never have to question if you call yourself a Christ follower. They know by the way that you live. 
You may not go around and just quote Bible verses, but they know based upon how you love them. They know based upon your integrity. They know based upon your faithfulness, that you always share the truth, that you're kind to them, that you're caring towards them, that you give towards them. They can tell you're a Christ follower by the way you live. You can't just call yourself a Christian and then not do anything about it. That's not real biblical faith. Or what would happen if people who believe the Bible is a fairy tale started to see it come to life because you and I are living out the words that are there. That we don't just say that we believe in Jesus, but we sacrificially live it out by loving people more than we love ourselves. People cannot be argued in the faith. They need to be able to see it from somebody else and believe it face to face. That's why Jesus came face to face to show himself to us. Imagine that people who gave up on church would start to consider coming to the chapel because we are the example of faith and love. I talk to too many Christians who get so angry about the culture that we're in, and I just want to shake them and say, don't you get it? This is the greatest opportunity that we have. When they wrote the Bible, it was really hard then, and it can be hard now, but they took advantage of it. The Thessalonians took such advantage of it that even in the face of suffering, they impacted people because faith and love, when it goes together, changes everything. So if you call yourself a Christ follower in here, show it. People need to see it and discover it so they can know what you know and they can have what you have. Because if you're a Christ follower, just like the Thessalonians where they didn't just have faith and love, but they had hope, enduring hope. See, hope is not a religious thing. Hope is a human thing. All of us are wired to hope that things get better. When we look at this world, it's filled with pain, it's filled with suffering. We have story upon story that we can all tell about the hard things that we've gone through, that we're going through, that we will go through. And we long for a future when that's not the case anymore. If you've ever met someone that truly has no hope, you know it's over for them. Because the hope is the only thing that truly gets us out of bed in the morning. That what we're going through right now, there has to be something that makes sense of it. That the pain and suffering gives way to peace someday. And because all of us are wired for hope, we will try to find it and hold on to it, hoping it gives us the future that we want. So we'll find hope in other people. We'll find hope in our material, material objects. We'll try to find hope in money or success. We try to find it in sex. We try to find it in a bottle of whiskey or a bottle of pills, hoping that those things will give us the future that we all long to have, that will help us get out of bed in the morning. And if we can't find it outwardly, we will just go inwardly. It's the beginning of January, so all of us haven't broken all of our resolutions yet. Self-discipline, self-positivity, look inward, find it in yourself. That's how you're going to have hope. But when I look inside myself, it's pretty hopeless inside. <laughs> I can't find it in me. I need it to be something on the outside. Because whether it's on the outside or whether it's in me, when I look to those things, they fall short. C.S. Lewis wisely said in one of the greatest books of all time, Mere Christianity, most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know 
that they do want, and they want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. How true is this? This isn't a religious thing. It's a life thing. When we try to find our future, relief from the present in something else or someone else or within, we may find it, but it slips through our fingers or it makes lots of promises that in the end they don't keep. We need a guarantee of a future that when we get there, it'll be what we've longed for from the beginning. That what we were made for is found in that in the end. And that's why when Paul says you are an example to all the people, it's because you found hope in the Lord Jesus. Jesus was in the future that all of us want. He was in heaven. There was no pain and suffering. It was so good. It was so peaceful. It was everything. And he left it. He left that. He left the future that we long for to come into the present to go through everything that we go through. Everything that you've gone through, those categories that we could point to Jesus himself went through. But thank God, he never lived inwardly. It was always upward, it was always outward, it was always onward, never inwardly. He was perfect. And so when he died on the cross for sin and shame and guilt and death itself, it was the perfect sacrifice. So that in the end, three days later, when all other gods stay buried in a grave, ours rose from it. To give life in this world, and then when we look ahead to a future that makes sense of our pain and shows us that our tears of sadness will turn into tears of joy, that future is guaranteed. Faith in Jesus coupled with love for other people towards a future that we know is secure in him is the way to follow Jesus. I am so glad that Thessalonians were an example to follow, but I want the chapel to be just that. You and I have role models and examples that we follow as husbands and wives or as co-workers or in different aspects that we want to be like that. Why shouldn't we be the example and role model. If people are looking to follow Jesus, they should look at the Bible and then they should look at you and me and that's the example that they should follow. If we embrace this vision of faith, love, and hope, it will happen. You and I have a choice when we leave. We can continue to leave, live selfishly and inwardly or we can live upwards in faith, outwards towards others and onwards to a guaranteed future. What will you choose? Let's pray together. Lord, just so thankful that you've secured our future. You've done it all for us. Now we have the freedom to live for you. Help us not just to say that we believe in you, but help us to live it out. Lord, I just pray for those in this room, even though it's going to be awkward and hard in their workplaces and their neighborhoods with friendships, that they would be the example. Yes, they may suffer just like the Thessalonians are, but the, but the impact, the eternal impact cannot be measured. Give them a vision. Give me a vision to live upwards, outwards, and onwards for your glory. In your name.
Amen. Have a great Sunday.